Uh, stand like... by for places. This is your number one fan. I couldn't help but notice that the candlestick Ooh. on Ben's uh, hutch, death cutch, oh. changed position four separate times. Oh, nice use of the word hutch. It's like backstage, but there's no stage. It's the stand by for places green room. Welcome to In the Green Room. Welcome back to another episode of In the Green Room. I am your host, Margie Zarcone, and I am joined today by Benjamin Mandel. And do we say Jim Ford or is it E. James Ford? E. James Ford, please. E. James Ford. Today we are going to talk about uh, Ben's recent directorial debut, Tartuffe by Moliere, which is live on Standby for Places. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having, for having us. us. Of course, of course. Uh, Jim, you play Tartuffe. I do, I do. The imposter himself. The imposter, the hypocrite. You know, the, the play, like often the subtitle of the play is listed as Tartuffe or the imposter, but my favorite uh, subtitle of the play, depending on the translation is Tartuffe or the hypocrite. Ooh. I like that a lot, yeah. I like that a lot. I love a good subtitle too. Me too, me too, yeah. So for those who are unfamiliar with Tartuffe, it is a 17th century or 16th century 17. French farce. It like is a 65 or so. Right on the cusp. Uh, it is a 17th century French farce about a man who pretends to be religious and pious and cons his way into this wealthy family and ends up wreaking havoc inside their household, swindling them out of house and home, etc. And it is a very physical piece. And I remember, I, yeah. yes, Ben, we sat down at the beginning uh, and talked about how we would unpack those moments and make them transition to a vocal medium. So I'd love to hear yeah. a little bit about those moments and what your process was. Well, this is definitely partially a circumstantial thing since a lot of us are spending more time at home than normal these days. And of course, it would be great to be able to do this on, in person on stage with crazy costumes and people acting like clowns and drawing on, you know, commedia techniques and things like this. But it offers a very different and, I mean, in my opinion, like equally amazing opportunity to do just the the audio recording of it. And so, because it, because you strip all this other stuff away, everything that you see, the facial expressions, the body language, posturing, you know, exaggerated hand gestures. Uh, you know, I could even see like masks being involved in a show like this, um, but we just gotta have our voices in this case. So what I was always encouraging the actors to do was to, you know, in your mind, when you're preparing, whatever you think is so ridiculous to the point of absurdity, that's a starting point. That's where you should begin. That's where we began from is what I wanted to do. And then to that's, that's your foundation. How can we build on that? So, you know, we then, then it became about the relationships and how Tartuffe is like this disease that infects every member of this family. And even the people on the peripheries, like Valer, who's not in the family, but he's, you know, supposed to marry Marianne, Oregon's daughter. And Tartuffe comes in and he's maybe going to actually be the one to ma marry Marianne. So how does that relationship inform how Valère comes in and reacts to this news of hearing that his betrothed is now promised to this like 
seemingly very lecherous uh, hypocrite. And so that's just one example of like the, how insidious everything that Tartuffe does and how can we bring that out in the vocal stuff? Um, and also then the verse, you know, this, the, uh, of course, a, a critical part of this whole thing was finding, finding a translation. And I happened, we, we did a quick turnaround on this and I happened on one early on that's in verse, which I was so happy to find because it gives us, I kept saying like a scaffolding, a really rigid, in a good way, rigid structure for us to like hang the trappings of all of the actors' choices on. Yeah, you know, so much of what, this is something that, that this is like back when I did Moliere in acting school, this was something that really locked into me about how to play this specific kind of French farce, which is that so much about, so much of the comedy is derived from the behavioralism of the act of the characters. Um, so much is derived from them believing that they have to behave in a very specific way and their sort of inner desires conflicting with that. And yet, no matter how much they want to, uh, whatever, kick Tartuffe out, uh, uh, steal his wife, right? Whatever, steal all of their money. Um, no matter how much whatever they want to do uh, infects their decisions, they can never let that through. It is a constant battle to sort of keep it under this veneer of civility, right? This yeah. veneer of not only civility, but but proper. The social mask. It's like the social mask. Exactly. So, so what that leads to as a performer is a, a great degree. Excuse me. A great degree of like faking it, right? Like, which yeah, is, like totally. Because if you feel that you're acting from impulse if you feel that you're behaving authentically, then you're doing Moliere wrong, you know? That's a, yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a, it's a wild point. It's a wild yeah. point. Yeah, and I and, mean, yeah, go ahead. Oh, thanks. Um, speaking from my own perspective, having like the kind of training I got was very kind of uh, much more of an internal Same. starting point, more of an inside, inside out, out thing. Yeah, totally. and this is totally flipping that on its head. It's like, we have to go from the outside in. Part of the, I mean, part of the thing that's uh, that you see like, stylistically that's that separates a piece like this which is considered neoclassical from something you might see nowadays is these characters don't consider the consequences of their actions hmm. something i found very freeing about uh working on moliere and the uh specifically the version of the script that you found of it in verse jim i don't know if you have this problem ben you're an actor as well i don't know if you have this problem but i, I tend to overanalyze what I'm going to say and think it to death. And then sometimes when it comes out, it's like, what is that? Like it, but Ben, you made a great point at the beginning of our first read through that. If you notice, there are no breaks in your lines. And that's because these people are not thinking before they are speaking. And that was yeah. such a thrilling direction to get that was very freeing because I was like, oh, I don't, I don't even, I don't have to think. I, I can't think. I cannot physically think. I just have to see what is here yeah. and allow the momentum to propel me. Yeah. It's almost like if you, if you stop to think for a second, your identity breaks down. That's right. Yeah. And that's obviously making it very extreme, but that's what makes it funny. And so many times your inclination is to sort of like, as a performer to do what we're all taught, right? Which is sort of like, stop and listen and sort of take in what the other person has said, 
let it sort of bubble around you and then speak your truth, right? But the rhythm matters more than the internal life, right? And it's it's there, it's like, it's there specifically in this translation. My favorite part of this translation is when it's written, it's an Alexandrine verse, I think this is his, or Alexandrine meter, I, I, I forget. That's a little I looked it up scope, at one I'm point. Sure. I looked it up at one point. I don't know what that means. Okay. Um, but, but, but- Are we just like a my, joining couplets? That's kind of what it is, right? I mean, it's joining couplets, but I think that there might be a, like something to the meter, but I don't, probably, I, probably, I don't yeah. really know. Um, but, uh, but my favorite part of this translation is when like, six lines or something are split up over one couplet, right? When, yes. when it goes yes. like, what? No, yes, I mean, what? I did, okay. And then the next person, right, exactly. says, I, I, I love how that oh. gives you the freedom to not react, to not sort of like settle in this inner life of an actor, but to just like have to plow forward because otherwise, you know, you'll 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 screw up the you'll screw up the rhythm. You'll screw up the whole band, right? If you don't keep that rhythm totally. going. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say it's kind of a cliche parallel to make, but it really is like ping pong, like even mm -hmm. like like sonically more than anything. You know, especially those really quick back and forth bits. There's so many. There's a lot of great bits between um, between Valer and Marianne in that in that style. There's a couple great bits between uh, Organ and uh, Doreen in that yeah. in that style. Um, Going back to what we were saying about, um, it, it sounds like all, I know Ben and I had similar training, but Jim, it sounds like all three of us had very similar training. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, the quest for truth sometimes, I, I don't know, I don't know if you guys feel this way, feel free to disagree with me, but sometimes I feel like we beat each other over the head with, and ourselves over the head with the quest for truth to the point where what is, what is the, the truth? Because if you analyze it so, so much, and think about the responses and this and that, you, you can almost just like any magic just kind of can dissipate. And with this, you know, as obviously the main character is a liar uh, and as un, this is as untruthful as it can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The fact that you're reacting in the moment about what you're reading and allows it to feel truth, but it, it feels, impulsive absolutely that if you are propelled forward by the rhythm of a piece like that well then you have no choice but to act truthfully because there's some degree of truth to, in there yeah. yeah and you don't have time to get caught up in in like your habits or your your over analytical brain of an actor right where you're like mm -hmm. how do i how do how am i really reacting or how should i be reacting to this you just yeah. have to keep going and as long yeah, what as what makes you can, sense for the arc Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. There is no arc. Kind of, as There's long no as arc. you can sort of, of keep those is. first lessons of a performer, which is to say like relaxation and listening, right? Which yes. is to say just like stay present and stay open. Then you can really just let that rhythm carry you and it will be truthful in its own fashion, right? It may not right. necessarily be revelatory from, from an actor's standpoint, mm -hmm. but but um, but I don't think that's how you sell Tartuffe. You know, I don't think right. that's how you yeah. sell Moliere. Well, yeah. and I think, you know, truth, like truth seeking is obviously a great foundation. That's mm -hmm. the reason that it gets talked about so much. I think it's maybe closer to the heart of getting at this piece to say that 
you want to be true to the story, true to what the character wants. And like, you can be true to that without being like, I'm just looking for the truth. Because that's almost like, in a situation that feels like a brick wall. Um, Truthful in the universe that they're in. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, And this is, I mean, something I learned that was so important uh, in drama school was how like having the proper restrictions can be incredibly freeing. Um, as an actor, I le- and I learned that from a director that I worked with a few times in grad school and then subsequently after school as well. Um, it, it And especially for a piece like this that, you know, you could argue is very restricted because especially in this transition, yeah. there's verse. And then, like I said, the characters are very one dimensional for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, there's not a ton of wiggle room. You have to do it, not to say that you have to do it a certain way, but you have to lock into a certain kind of mindset. Yeah. But once you are, once you're able to kind of see what your playground looks like, then you know how to play. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Then, then you can relax into it. Then it doesn't necessarily have to become this heady behavioralism. How are they? How, how am I supposed to be? Yeah. You have to stop convincing yourself and just believe it. Is the That's kind right. of the crazy thing. Because yeah. there's no time for anything else. Yeah. No, you don't, no, and you don't need to be worried about the arc in the sense of. Uh, having a response that's incongruent to where your character ends up because right, they yeah. all ultimately end up in the same spot. There's, there's totally. no new revelations that happen. And if you want to make it about stakes raising, then like you could say that it's life or death. Like according to the sure. characters, like this could be their demise. I mean, Marianne says she's going to kill herself if she has to marry Tartuffe. Yeah. I mean, are we supposed to not, how, how seriously do we take it or not? Um, you know, if you take it so seriously that you like give it the big dramatic pause and say it, then we're just, we're just doing drama. But like, I'm gonna kill myself and then Doreen pounces on it with sarcasm and it's like, okay, this is, these people are ridiculous. But that's the distance that between the audience and the performers. The audience can laugh because of how absurd it is. But for us, it's only gonna be absurd if we commit 100% that it's, that it looks that ridiculous from the outside. Um, and the stakes yeah. couldn't be any higher because they see that, uh, well, Organ uh, yeah. thinks that Tartuffe is their salvation right. um, because religion was so interwoven into the culture and society that the idea of being saved was, was the, I mean, that is life and death. Yeah. So the stakes couldn't be higher already, but as the audience, it's a comedy and it's ridiculous because we know that he's a complete fraud from the beginning. We don't right. discover it. We already know. We know. Yeah. yeah. Jim, have you performed Tartuffe in person? No, um, I've, I've only done, as far as Moliere actually performing, I've only done like the misanthrope and only in scene study class. Um, ah. So I haven't ever actually been in a Tartuffe show, but so I've done it a couple of times, right? Oh, I've seen it. I've seen Tartuffe at least two times, not including um, like YouTube videos of them, like the, the RSC version of yes. it and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, uh, not including that. Yes, I've seen Tartuffe a couple of times um, that I can think of and seen a lot of Moliere and, you know, generally like love the form of French farce, love that sort of, uh, uh, 
again, I'm going to keep coming back to it. I'm going to keep harping on this term, but this hyper behavioralism, right? This idea that we're watching a bunch of people desperately trying to behave as they think they're supposed to and just seeing the cracks in that form. Um, mm -hmm. I love that as a performance style. Um, yeah, yeah. But no, this is my first time really doing a full Moliere role, um, uh, you know, soup to nuts. You know, what I think is so great about doing a uh, performance <laughs> where you're all of you, where your body is present, either in film or theater, right, is the contrast between what you're doing versus what your action or objective or intention may be, depending on what yeah. vernacular you use, right? It's that contrast yeah. between I'm picking up a cup and I'm just thinking about how <laughs> my father beat me. It didn't happen to me, but, uh, but, but you're thinking about something that isn't necessarily explicit in the physical action that you're doing. Whereas when you're doing, especially cartoons, um, but also I think, you know, voiced over acting in general, you're, or, or frankly, like Shakespeare, a lot of the time, a lot of classical mm -hmm. theater, because mm -hmm. the language is so divorced from modern vernacular, right? You're kind of having to say, this is what I'm doing and feeling right now. So that totally. the audience mm. can stay on board. You know? That's why there's no stage directions in Shakespeare. Exactly so, exactly yeah. so, yeah, yeah. So in a way, well- very few in this play too. Yeah, it's true. It's matter, you know? Yeah, yeah, and in a way, even though we're limited because that physical behavior isn't there in a podcast version of the show, I do think that it sort of lends itself to being a fully audio production. I think the play sort totally. of, yeah, yeah, because of because of mm -hmm. its distance and time and and mm -hmm. and what it is. Yeah. I mean, the first, the very first scene with Madame Parnell when she's coming in, yeah. I mean, she just she gives the exposition. She basically is a human embodiment of the character list page that you would see in a contemporary play. Yeah, she gives like a, a, a you know an emotion like a like a very cool, like pithy emotional description of who this person is and like what they may or may not want. I wanted to ask about. I remember you gave a general note to all of us in rehearsal. Uh, yeah. that when we, <laughs> I was thinking about being loud and it brought me to this question, uh, that instead of increasing your volume, instead of going up to drive forward. Yeah. Where did you I mean, pick up that note? I am always thinking about directionality when it comes to acting, you know, there's, you know, your intent, whether, and this, it mm. applies to no matter the material I'm working on, you know, either the characters, maybe they're driving forward, maybe they're being pushed back, maybe they're trying to sidestep something, maybe they're trying to, you know, top someone or, um, you know, sneak underneath them. There's always this kind of, I, I picked it up from, you know, like learning, like our movement curriculum in grad school got me acquainted with that. Um, and like what part of your body you're leading from, what, what's, you know, what's taking you in that direction. It's just like avenues to start an exploration um, of a character, of a scene, of a story. And, you know, for our purposes, since we're stationary, um, you know, I, that was, well, yeah, something I encouraged the actors to do is like, because what I was, what we were talking about so much and emphasizing was the momentum and gathering inertia and that's how the tension rises and that's how the verse is structured and the, how no one, there's no, everyone's interrupting each other all the time. And 
how it's quick, fast, back and forth, really snappy. So, you know, if you're really getting on that, it, it can take you, it can, a sense of urgency happens and naturally some, your volume can increase. That can happen too. And uh, so one of the technological things we're dealing with here is like, you can't be too loud because then sound quality is affected. Um, and so how do we how do we continue to communicate urgency and raising the stakes without raising our volume? And so when you're building that momentum, you know, volume is like an upward thing. And so I was trying to kind of influence the actor's direction, the actor's directionality, as opposed to going upwards, the volume go forward with your momentum and with your urgency and your need. Because that's what this is. It's all these needs just like flying at each other. And when they collide, that's when the, those are the inflection points in the plot. It was an extremely helpful note. It was an extremely helpful note because it, it's just another example of when you set these parameters, like when you have the verse, it, it's restricting mm -hmm. you in some way. But then if you also set that rule in, it's almost like viewpoints a little bit in a way that yeah, totally. Uh, you, totally. you, you have an easier time creating yeah. Mm -hmm. When you have just a few parameters, because otherwise it can be so overwhelming. Like, where do I go yeah. with this? Where, how, how do I react to this? How do I feel? How do I respond? But when you have a note, like go forward and find other ways instead of just going up in volume, it lends itself to more creative choices. And, and especially with vocal variety. Can I jump, can I jump in? Yeah, you can absolutely jump in. I mean, in my mind, I also, I found analogous to running um, and like long distance running and something that a coach of mine was always like telling us in high school, a hugely influential figure, this cross country coach, he's an amazing guy. Um, and when talking about technique, especially long distance, he's like, you can't waste any energy. And if your energy is going this way, that's wasted energy. You're not running this way. You're running that way. So like, don't pick your feet up too high off the ground because the more you go up, that's less energy that you can expend going forward. And so I was like, well, that just makes physical sense. So yeah. in terms of like tackling a project like this, I felt that that was really useful. Um, what an incredible metaphor for, for like for performing in general, because yeah. so often just when emotions get extreme as a performer, the tendency is to get louder, especially if you don't have some sort of you know, form constraining you, you know, yeah, there's, there's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a tendency to just sort of, Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting worked up. And so now I'm going to go out. Um, but I think it's a very that's, American thing too. That's probably like, true. Uh, the Brits totally. have more vocal variety when they point. experience emotion because they, it's not socially acceptable to be louder. Yeah. That there's sometimes a greater amount of refinement. Um, they're just right. Is. Right. And it, I think I think it also goes a little bit hand in hand with our training, especially with method training. You can mm -hmm. feel a little applauded for the emotion and yeah, that can happen definitely. Uh, the rawness of the emotion, which sure. is often reflected in volume, but then it also can be very forced. So it's it's nice when you have the you have a direction asked of you to just find other ways of getting what you want. It like opens up this whole new world of vocal possibilities. I want to, I want to jump in with a hot take about line readings. Oh, nice. I actually find that like, I, 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 
almost always have directors sort of caveat or apologize for saying, oh, no, no, this isn't a line reading. But, um, but like a line reading is sometimes the best, quickest way to communicate an idea, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is like, because, because moments and tensions these things are ephemeral. That's why we sort of have created endless techniques to sort of try to capture them, right? And so sometimes a line reading can really get to the ephemeralness of a moment quicker than any one of a thousand different sort of analytical uh, 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 directions. So I think that um, line readings uh, are useful and that it's your job as a performer to hear the line reading, sort of interpret the intention behind it, mm-hmm. and then not do it like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then say, oh, okay, you want it like that? Great, let me do what you mean, not yeah. how you sound. Yeah, That's a really good point, Jim. And I think it gets, at least it reminds me of like the inception of when I wanted to be an actor and I feel mm-hmm. like it for me and I think for a lot of other people especially at a young age it begins with mimicry yep. with like with imit with you know just like impulsive imitations of things you see on tv people you know particularly quirky members of your family or people you yep. see in school or what have you um I mean that was certainly something I uh gravitated towards when I was a little kid um and that's definitely a through line in kind of how I got to where I am now um and I think a line reading is quick. It can be efficient. Um, if the director knows what they're doing, that they'd probably be able to do a pretty good one, um, especially if they know the material they're directing well enough. Um, you would, you know, you hope. If it influences the actor to go in the complete opposite direction, that might be exactly a discovery that needed to be made. For and sure. Maybe that was maybe that was a little push. It's just like you throw anything to the wall and see what sticks. You can't can't make oh line readings are verboten because I'm telling someone what to do. It's like they don't, it doesn't yeah. have to be. It doesn't have to. Be. Yeah. It's all about how you say it, not what you say. This idea that like we have to be a certain way and how that behavioralism that we all put on for culture, for society is the great big lie of the things that that we think are the greatest truths, right? Specifically religion in this play, right? Specifically religion as this like moral high ground and, and the as aspiration as like, oh, in to this, it. In this case, like a familial cleanser. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like they think that this guy will literally just be the antidote to all of their woes. Right. For whatever, right. because they see him praying really hard in church. That's what they say. So it says in the play. Did you look into this? Uh, there's there's this thing that was apparently very popular in Moliere's time that some people think is what, uh, uh, what he was specifically satirizing in this play. I think it's called yeah. the Moneta Secreta or something. Which huh. is I feel like I may have come across that. Yeah. So it's it's apparently a Jesuit text, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I believe most scholars think was falsified. Now it's like the Protocols of the Elders of oh, Zion. Wow. It's like it's like this p- thing that people said. Okay, no, I definitely didn't read. I definitely didn't. Come yeah, across. it's like this thing that <laughs> this people said the Jesuits wrote, but it was actually written by some anti-Jesuit propagandist, right? But it says, "See, this is what they're up to in their dirty churches," right? Um, wow. But it is about how Jesuit, it's like this Jesuit secrets and tricks to ingratiate yourself to families through oh, piety, to wow. always take as much as you can get in terms of alms and keep driving up how much you can get and then just give half of it away to the poor, 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, but still get as much as you can, right? And and again, I I I think it's it's like not true, but I think that it may have been thought to have been true uh, during Moliere's time, and he was specifically like satirizing the um, the piety of the Jesuits, specifically who were mm-hmm. the you know Brotherhood of Jesus, I believe. Yeah, Cleante, I think is the is the is the exception in that I think that he is, you know, he's like a noble, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, but like, but it's really Doreen that sees right through him, right? It's oh, really yeah. Doreen think, is the voice of the person. Is, I think yeah. she's the smartest one in the play. And that's, I, I agree. I think that she represents the the audience's perspective or Moliere's perspective, which I think the choice of making her in this sort of Downton Abbey, right? Like she's in the servants' quarters, right? Totally, that she totally, becomes totally. the one who can speak the truth. She becomes the one who sees what everybody through their nobility can't see. She's right? looking at it objectively too. She really yeah, doesn't have yeah. any skin in the game. Exactly. Well, she also has, an, she does, you got to give it to her. She takes initiative. I mean, she basically like marries Valera and Marianne. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she's not a justice of the peace or anything like that, but she just does it. She's like, hands are together. You guys are married. That's yeah. the deal. You know what I mean? Just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, she's like one of the few in the play who actually like do something about it. Ben, Jim, thank you so much for joining me for this little chat today. Absolutely. It was a thank pleasure you. to have you. Uh, for those listening, thanks for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please Please, I implore you, check out Tartuffe by Moliere, directed by Benjamin Mandel on Standby for Places. Thank you. Thanks, Margie. Thanks, Margie. We're just going to be like, could you just shut up, shut up, shut up. Just just for one second, shut up. Weird.